BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero and Fermina Kim. Reina Grande's new historical novel, A Ballad of Love and Glory, tells the story of a romance during the Mexican-American War that ended in 1848 and set the southern border we have today. The novel is also about the St. Patrick's Battalion, made up of soldiers of European descent, many Irish, who deserted the U.S. Army and instead fought for Mexico during that war. Seven years in the making, the book is the first work of historical fiction for Grande, who's known for her memoirs, The Distance Between Us, and A Dream Called Home. Grande was born in Iguala, Guerrero, Mexico, came to the United States as a kid. She studied writing at UC Santa Cruz and Antioch University. Here to talk about A Ballad of Love and Glory, the legacy of the Mexican-American War, and its parallels to modern-day armed conflicts is author Reina Grande. Reina, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much, Farida. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. We're, we're happy to have you. So you wrote about this massive war that destroyed cities, involved thousands of soldiers, gave the U.S. about half of Mexico's territory, uh, including California, through the eyes of a curandera or healer who was born in what became Texas, and the eyes of an Irish immigrant soldier. Can you describe these two characters for our listeners, please? Yeah, so the Irish soldier I write about, John Riley, is actually a real historical figure he was the leader of the St. Patrick's Battalion, and he was originally from County Galway in Ireland, and he immigrated and ended up joining the U.S. Army right before the outbreak of the war. And, of course, he ended up deserting the U.S. Army and switching sides to fight for Mexico. And a few months later, Santa Ana created the St. Patrick's Battalion, and put John Riley as its leader. And Jimena, my female character, she is a fictional character based on the poem by John Greenleaf Whittier, The Angels of Buena Vista. And this poem was very interesting to me because it was written by a white American poet, but it's very pro-Mexican. And it was written in 1847, where most of the the citizens of the United States were anti-Mexican since the U.S. was at war with Mexico at the time. But this poem honors the strength and the courage of Mexican women who were out in the battlefield um, tending to the wounded from, from either side. 
And the poem features a woman named Jimena, mm-hmm. who who is who who became my character in a ballad of love and glory. Mm-hmm. And Jimena, Jimena's family ends up being displaced um, from from Texas. Their land taken by Texas Rangers. Yeah, so I didn't, because she was based on a poem, I didn't have a whole lot of of information to go on for her. And I ended up um, making her a Tejana Mm -hmm. from Texas because as I was researching the Mexican-American War or the U.S. invasion of Mexico, which, you know, in Mexico, they called it an invasion, not a war. Um, I, as I was researching this moment in history, I realized that the Texas rebellion that happened 10 years earlier set the stage for this invasion. And so by my character, Jimena, being a Tejana from, from, from Texas, whose family was displaced because of the rebellion and who participated in the rebellion. Also, the reader gets to see that part of, of, the, of the history and, and they get to learn more about how this particular um, war over the Rio Grande came to happen. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, when I first heard about your book, I was like, Irish immigrants in the Mexican-American War? <laughs> and then reading your book, of course, I realized the U.S. Army hired European immigrants with the promise of you know good pay to feed and support their families back home. When you learned about the St. Patrick's Battalion, the San Patricios, when you first heard about them, what made you want to pursue it as a historical fiction novel? I was just fascinated, just just what you expressed right now, too, that <laughs> surprise, right? The Irish immigrants in the Mexican army. And when I first heard about them, I, I, I was so fascinated and, and I tried to learn everything I could about the St. Patrick's Battalion and John Riley. And I read, you know, history books about it. I also read a, a few novels about it. And I realized that having grown up in the United States, I, I really hadn't learned much about this time period. I hadn't learned about the U.S. invasion of Mexico. I, I didn't know about this battle over the Rio Grande. Um, and I certainly had never heard of the St. Patrick's Battalion because the United States denied its existence for a very long time. So for me, it, I, I wanted to explore more and learn more about this history and uh, the way to do it, because I'm a novelist, uh, was to write a novel about it. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was so empowering writing this novel on a personal level because I, you know, I immigrated from Mexico when I was nine And I have spent most of my life in California. And yet, as I was coming of age in this country, so many times I was made to feel that I was an outsider, that I was a foreigner, that I didn't belong here as a Mexican and as a Spanish speaker. Mm -hmm. And yet, writing this novel and learning the history and learning that the state I have called home for over 36 years was once a part of Mexico was was uh, an eye-opening experience because I realized that maybe I'm not an outsider mm-hmm. after all. That yeah. Maybe I belong here. Did it give you some solace in a way? I feel like that's 
just thinking about your book and reading it, I was like, I wonder if that's why I live in California, too, because I'm a Mexican immigrant as well. But, you know, living in a place like San Francisco or going to Los Angeles and Sacramento, Mm -hmm. it just makes me feel like, I don't know, like we, yeah, like you said, like maybe, you know, we're not as uh, as outsiders as... Right. Yeah. yeah. It it gave me a lot of solace and it also did make me feel that there is a place for me here mm-hmm. and that and that I I I shouldn't feel that I have to earn my right to be here, you know, or that I have to prove that I deserve to be here. Hmm. So, I mean, you've just been talking a little bit about this, but as a Mex- Mexican immigrant, what are some of your other key takeaways from learning and doing all this historical research on the war. Um, and do you feel like that knowledge changed you in some way? or And yes, definitely impacted your sense of belonging here in California. Yeah, well, there's, there were so many different things that I feel I learned during this process of writing the book. And you know, you mentioned earlier about this this shock at learning that Irish immigrants were in the Mexican army. And that was something that I was uh, very connected with, too, with John Riley as my protagonist. And when I first started writing the book, I, I was hesitant to write about an Irish man, right? Because obviously I'm not Irish. That's not my culture. And yet, as I started to write about John Riley, I realized there's so, there were so many things that the Irish people had in common with Latino yeah. immigrants. Because even though like nowadays we see the Irish Americans as part of mainstream society, as part of you know benefiting from white privilege, in the 1840s, they were the least desirable group of immigrants. They experienced so much discrimination and abuse and they, you know, they were demonized and, and reviled, much like the Latino immigrants are today. And so I felt a very deep personal connection to what John Riley must have felt being in the US Army, constantly dealing with abuse. And even though he wanted to give the best of himself to this country, he was constantly being told mm-hmm. that he didn't belong here. So I gave him my immigrant trauma and my drama. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was wondering about that because I thought, yeah, like I thought um, just reading about him, um, there were so many common things, right? And I, I like this motivation, um, how you explained the motivation for Irish soldiers to desert the U.S. Army, which was, you know, punishable by death. Uh, it was not a, a light thing to do. Um, and so you mentioned it had to do a lot with, discrimination against Irish immigrants at the time, not being able to practice their Catholic faith while in the army. Can you talk about that a little bit more and um, and how that connects to the experience of your other character, Jimena, um, whose family is, yeah. was displaced from her land in Texas? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at this time, the U.S. Army, half of the U.S. Army in 1846 was foreign-born and a quarter of uh, a quarter of them were were Irish, and then there were Italians and Germans, and they experienced ethnic discrimination, but also, like you say, religious discrimination because they were Catholic. And obviously, for them, it was difficult to think about going into Mexico, invading a Catholic nation, and helping the United States dispossess Mexico of its lands 
So um, they ended up throwing themselves into the Rio Grande and swimming south and joining the Mexican ranks. And my character, Jimena, as a Mexican, you know, she's also Catholic. She's very spiritual. And in the novel, I try to I try to explore all the things that she might have had in common with John Riley, with this Irish immigrant. And I think that one of the things that really bind them together is not just their religion, you know, they're both Catholics, but also John Riley as an Irishman, he understood very well what mm -hmm. the Mexicans were going through because uh, Ireland had been oppressed by the English for uh, uh, two centuries by then. And he knew what it was like for a, his country to be invaded by a, an Anglo-Saxon Protestant nation. He knew what it was like for you know his people to, to be oppressed and to, to lose their lands. You know, the Irish at the time, many of them were landless peasants, and he worried that Mexico would soon face the same fate. And this is what united him with Jimena in their fight to save Mexico. But also, this is a love story, so it's also a fight for their love as well. We're talking with Reina Grande about her new novel, A Ballad of Love and Glory, set during the Mexican-American War. And for you listeners, what questions do you have about Irish immigrants in the Mexican-American War? And what reactions do you have to what you're hearing? Was your family impacted by the Mexican-American War in some way? What's your story? Call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And now I'd like to welcome to the show Omar Valerio Jimenez. He's an associate professor of history at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Professor um, Valerio Jimenez, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for being here. So um, the U.S. invasion of Mexico um, was the first time uh, the U.S. invaded a foreign country. And many say the U.S. did so without provocation. Can you talk about how the war was justified then and what it was really about? Sure. I mean, it was justified, um, as Reina mentioned uh, earlier, um, you know, after the U.S., um, after Texas received its independence, um, you know, Mexico never really recognizes it, uh, Texas's independence. And then in 1845, the U.S. annexes Mexico and Mexico sees that as a <clears throat> as a sort of a as a provocation, uh, you know, as a as a possible uh, act of war you because it's annexing a territory that it still, um, you know, has uh, claims over when the U.S. And annexed Texas. Yes, okay. in 1845, exactly, and and um, and but one of the things that the, during the whole Texas Republic period from 1836 to 1845, there's a there's a portion of territory that both Texas and Mexico claim, and that's the so-called Nueces Strip, the territory between the Rio Grande and the Nueces River uh, near the Corpus Christi area, and um, basically the U.S. Um, you know, uh, President Polk, James Polk, uh, in 1844, runs on an annexation, an, an annexation platform. He says, if elected, I will, you know, enlarge the territory of the U.S. And he he definitely does so. He, you know, he not only, um, he basically uh, has two 
sort of tactics, two, two strategies to try to obtain more land from Mexico. And one was a diplomatic strategy. He sent a diplomat to Mexico City to try to uh, obtain more land to negotiate, but Mexico didn't want to sell any, any of its land northern lands. And the other one was a military strategy. And basically that involved provoking Mexico to attack uh, within the Nueces Strip. And so he, they sent soldiers, um, the U.S. sent soldiers into the Nueces Strip and um, the Mexican military, you know, um, basically attacked at some point and there was some casualties and therefore James Polk was able to claim uh, incorrectly that um, uh, U.S. blood had been shed on, on U.S. soil. And um, so that's what happened. Um, and it was sort of one of these provocations, sort of like the Gulf of Tonkin um, that occurred, you know, many years later in the 20th century to start the U.S.-Vietnam War. So uh, it has lots of parallels. But I feel like other wars we've heard, you know, they were about freedom or democracy or, um, you know, uh, but it seems like this war, there wasn't. Uh, it wasn't about any of that. <laughs> it was it was uh, basically to you know take land, to take land and to expand slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the one of the uh, interesting things is that you know as a professor as a as a teacher one of the things that this war allows us to do gives us an opportunity to do is to discuss many issues in U.S. history from immigration as you know Reina Grande already mentioned about Irish immigration uh, that was you know peaking in the mid 19th century as a result of the Irish potato famine uh, anti Catholicism so anti immigrant hysteria xenophobia uh, that basically is directed against Irish immigrants because they're Catholic, predominantly Catholic, um, and uh, slavery, the expansion of slavery, um, the uh, uh, opponents of, of, you know, sort of anti-war opponents, um, which include uh, people like uh, Henry David Thoreau, several abolitionists like Fr- Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison, mm-hmm. um, as well as Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and intellectuals like Henry David Thoreau. So, um, you know, this is a this is an event that could should be more well known, but it isn't. And you know, people have referred to it as uh, scholars have referred to it as the nation's forgotten war, because very little, you know, very few um, of the U.S. public knows about it. The textbooks don't discuss it very often. Um, but you know, the other thing is, you know, part of the reason is because it was uh, an aggression, uh, you know, a war of conquest you could say, an imperialist project to obtain more territory. Hmm. Um, we have a caller, uh, Barry. Uh, you're, you're on. Oh, thank you very much for taking my call. I just want to congratulate the author on uh, the release of her book and thank her for writing about this because I live in San Francisco. I'm a naturalized American citizen. I'm originally from Dublin, Ireland. And we know in Ireland, all of us grow up learning about this history, unlike kids in the United States. But what I wanted to say about this novel that I think is being explored today is it's really refreshing and wonderful to allow the nuances of people's diaspora experience be explored. And by that, I mean, it's so much is always about the discrimination between people of color uh, by people who are white or non-people of color. And here, there's a more nuanced reflection on the colonial pain and the experience that many people share together of being colonized and the pain and the damage that that does. And I wanted to thank the author for that. Thank you so much for your call, Barry, and your comment. I'm Farida Javala-Romero. We'll have more of Forum after this break. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. I was born a son of Erin With no Irish luck or rank Forced away from County Galway To the Rio Grande Spain Welcome back to Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero in Formina Kim. I'm here with Reina Grande and Omar Valerio Jimenez. He's an associate professor of history at the University of, Se- of Texas at San Antonio. Reina, we were just hearing um, a ballad of love and glory, a corrido, that you co-wrote uh, for the release of this book. Can you tell me about the song? Yes, uh This was such an exciting project to do, so much fun. So because my novel is called A Ballad of Love and Glory, and in Spanish it's called Corrido de Amor y Gloria, I had this idea, why not make a corrido? You know, when I write a, a, a ballad for this, this book, and I was very fortunate to meet uh, Germán Briseño, who is a very talented musician and songwriter, so we collaborated on this song and it's, you know, you heard the little snippet of John Riley uh, talking about his, his story of being forced away from County Galway to go find a better life in, in another place. And also you hear Jimena sharing her own story and the song really captures the experience of John and Jimena as they fight for their lives and and for the future of Mexico. Yeah, and I really love the the definite corrido sound, you know, with the heavy like guitar and but then there's also the Irish mm-hmm. uh, traditional sounding music and the you know and yeah. the, the song as well. Did you how did you did you compose yeah, how did you work on that? Well, I, I'm not going to take credit for the music. Right. That was Germán Briseño right. who did it all. And I helped him with the lyrics. But the music, you know, you're hearing the, the, the Mexican music there. And then you hear some of the Irish uh, music. It really captures the book itself. Because A Ballad of Love and Glory, the novel has that that dual voice right of Jimena the, the, the Mexican voice and then John Riley I did a um, I did a lot of research to try to honor John Riley's Irish culture and Irish language and you could hear that in the music as well that it's a celebration of both of these cultures. So it's great. Um, so we have a listener, Amy. She is um, she has Mexican and Irish heritage, uh, and she writes, "I look forward to reading this book. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. My great great grandfather immigrated from Ireland in 1845, and his wife, my great great grandmother, was from Mexico and had been baptized at Mission San Diego in Alta California. I'm very proud of my heritage from both. I haven't found evidence that my family fought in the war, but they." They were fighters nonetheless. 
Um, and we also have a caller, uh, Wendy. Wendy, you're on the line. Welcome to Forum. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call and for having this program. So I have a brief comment and a question. My comment is simply to thank the author for writing this book. I teach part-time at UC Berkeley, and a few years ago when I was preparing to teach U.S. policy in Latin America, I was brushing up on what I thought was my own historical knowledge, and I was personally shocked to uncover many of the facts and primary source documents that it sounds like the author is covering in this book. And when I conveyed it to students, many of them had a very similar reaction. So I'm very pleased that um, this important part of history is going to be more widely known, and I look forward to reading the book. My question is, in reflecting on what an appropriate historical parallel would be to the um, so-called War of Mexican-American War. I've been thinking a lot about the current um, mm-hmm. invasion of Russia in Ukraine, and I'm curious as to what the historian and others on the panelists might see, if any, as possible parallels. That's an excellent question, Wendy. Thank you so much for calling. Um, Professor Omar Valerio Jimenez, do you see any parallels with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine today? Well, sure. Yes. And, you know, it's unfortunate for the U.S., right, because basically... Um, you know, the U.S.-Mexican War was a war of conquest. It's a war of territorial expansion. This is exactly what the what Russia is doing. Um, but unfortunately, I think the other thing I should mention is that there's been commentators and politicians who have made some inaccurate sort of um, comparisons, which is someone recently posted on social media that... that um, uh, comparing sort of what's happening there to to the Battle of the Alamo, you know, like the Battle for Kiev, like the Battle of the Alamo, and I'll just say that this that's a that's a terrible comparison because um, so Texas's independence, um, you know, or, or separatist revolt was um, not at all about freedom. It was really to allow Anglo Texans and some Tejanos as well to continue to uh, enslave um, people. Um, so it was, it was a defense of slavery, and it was, and it was also because Mexico had, uh, the Mexican government, mm-hmm. had instituted certain uh, restrictions on immigration. Um, and Americans who were coming into, flooding into Texas were uh, 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 ignoring some of these restrictions. So um, I think there are some um, um, accurate parallels, and then there's also some parallels that are perhaps are a little bit more inaccurate. Hmm. And uh, Reina Grande, yeah. yeah, what do you think about this? Do you see any um, yeah. any parallels well, with today's situation in Ukraine? Definitely. I mean, this is an imperial expansion, right, of a powerful country going into a smaller, weaker country. And that is what I saw happen to Mexico, where you had the United States invading its territory as a uh, land grab and a brutal attack on on its people and um that for me you know as i'm watching what's unfolding in ukraine i keep thinking about what the mexican people must have gone through and experienced and felt when the u.s invaded mexico and that's something that in my novel i don't shy away from writing about 
the death and devastation and the violence that was wreaked upon Mexico. And I know that some readers might, might be surprised when they're reading the book about all the battles that I write about are very graphically depicted, very detailed, because I was writing about an invasion and an invasion means that there is going to be destruction and death and violence, just as we're watching right now happening, you know, before our eyes, right? We're mm -hmm. witnessing and, and seeing that on our TV screens. And it's ugly. It's ugly when, when you see a powerful country attacking a smaller, weaker country just because of greed and because of imperialism. We're talking with Reina Grande about her new novel, A Ballad of Love and Glory, set during the Mexican-American War. We're also talking with Omar Valerio Jimenez, associate, prof associate professor of history at the University of Texas at San Antonio. We have a caller, Greg in San Jose. Greg, you're on the line. Well, hello. My name is Greg Bernal Mendoza Smithstead. Uh, Bernal, like Bernal Heights in San Francisco. That's my grandmother's. Uh, name my maternal grandmother. I'm a California descendant, and these are the people who were here in California during the time of the Mexican-American War. We still uh, tell stories about uh, this in our family, and I'm part of an organization called Los Californianos, some 750 uh, people who uh, share stories about their heritage, which goes back to when this was first Spain and then Mexico, and now uh, enduring into the American period. So my question, my first, uh, my, my thanks to the author and uh, her efforts to bring this part of history uh, to light. And uh, I'd like to ask about the after aftermath. We often talk in our family about the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo mm -hmm. and also the, the laws that were passed. There was an anti-vagrancy act law called uh, in 1855, uh, which uh, legalized the arrest of those per perceived to be uh, vagrants, including indigenous uh, Native Americans. So what about the aftermath of the war? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, Professor Omar Valerio Jimenez, would you like to take this on in uh, about two minutes we have left before our next break? Sure. Um, well, so the aftermath of the war um, is, was devastating for uh, Mexican-Americans throughout the U.S. Southwest. So what happened to Tejanos after the Texas Revolution, you know, in 1836, is going to happen also to uh, Mexican-Americans throughout the, the Southwest, from Texas to New Mexico, Arizona, California. And that's that their lands are going to, their land grants are going to be challenged. They're going to lose land in a variety of ways, both uh, informal and formal or illegal and illegal ways. Um, and they're going to lose political power. They're going to lose social standing as well. Um, you know, various historians have written about this. Um, but more importantly, you know, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo promised Mexican-Americans or the people who, who stayed in, in the U.S. who were of Mexican descent, there was about 80 to 100,000 of them, mm. um, promised them U.S. citizenship. And those, those promises were not fulfilled. Hmm. Wait, so what happened to them? Well, um, they continued living in, you know, in the Southwest, in what today is the Southwest, right? But gradually, many of them lost their land uh, for various reasons. Um, 
but uh, and they lost political power. Um, they held on to you know certain pockets, um, like in uh, Santa Barbara. They held on political power a little bit longer in New Mexico because they were uh, a large part of the population. In South Texas, in the valley, uh, what is called the Rio Grande Valley, they held on a little bit longer. But any places where Anglo Americans you know overwhelmed them demographically, they're going to lose political and social uh, and economic power very rapidly. You're listening to Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero in for Fermina Kim. Um, I want to get back to the, you know like what the impact for people who are already living in this land before it became a part of the of the U.S. Um, but Reina Grande, your book also delves into the infighting that happened on the Mexican side of this war, the mistakes that leaders um, there made, including a very controversial figure, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. Plus, uh, the Mexican army was not as well equipped as the U.S. one. And the U.S., you know, took all that to its advantage. What was it like learning about that and getting that understanding of how Mexico lost so much of its territory? Yeah, and to me, that was an important part of the experience of writing the book was that as a, as a Mexican who has grown up in the United States, and I get to call both of these countries home, mm -hmm. right? Both of these countries are, are part of who I am and my identity. I was able to be very critical of the United States of how it provoked an unjust war with, with Mexico. But also I was able to be very critical of Mexico mm. too and the Mexican leaders. I did not want to romanticize Mexico in the book. It is true that, that Mexico and the Mexican people were victims of US imperialism, but it is also true that Mexican leaders were not united. They were always fighting amongst each other. And instead of concentrating to defeat the United States, they kept having, you know, these, these um, military coups. And, and throughout the two years of the war, um, all of the Mexican presidents kept getting replaced with other presidents because there were always these, these military coups that were going on with one political group uh, uprising and attacking the other group and, and so forth. And of course, as I write in the novel, which it's very true what happened with Santa Ana, that he betrayed the Mexican people because he had secretly made agreements with President Polk. Hmm. And it was because of President Polk's help that Santana was able to come back to Mexico after being exiled and then take over the, the Mexican army. So he had made some secret agreements with Polk and he ended up betraying the Mexican people. To me, that was very heartbreaking to read about because I realized that, you know, um, Mexico was partly to blame for losing mm -hmm. half of its territory in that they just couldn't get it together. They couldn't get it together. <laughs> Those were That's what I was going to say. Um, I mean, yeah, and I feel like growing up in Mexico, you know, when you learn about this war and how come the U.S., the Mexico lost so much of its territory, it's like, ah, you know, like a big mistake. Um, yeah. You know, from the Mexican side, of course, for the U.S., it was definitely a benefit. Um, and, it, and it wasn't just the, the leaders, the political and military leaders, but also the people, the civilians were selling 
food mm-hmm. and and uh, mules and horses and oxen to the U.S. Army, and some of them were were offering their services to the U.S. Army. Mm -hmm. Something I didn't go deeply into the book was how when General Scott got to to Mexico, there was a a guerrilla group that hired itself out to Scott, a Mexican guerrilla, to spy on the, the Mexican army on Santa Ana. So even with that, like I just felt very, very disappointed to read about how in in so many ways the the Mexican people um, contributed to to their own defeat. Well, there was a lot of discontent with the Mexican government as well, right? Like it was a very, I mean, it's still a very central government in Mexico where everything comes from Mexico City and these, you know, areas that were farther away, like in, in Texas and California. Um, yeah, they, it just right. felt like there wasn't enough investment and attention. Yeah, and there, that's there's discontent, and that's something I point up in the book out too. But also, there was a lot of poverty, you mm-hmm. know. And then there's something that I have. John Riley is always observing of how he understands that Mexican, you know, the poor people of Mexico were not really able to to be patriotic because they need you know, to pay, eat. Yeah, first. they needed to eat, so of course they're gonna be selling their food. Mm-hmm. to to the enemy's army. And Omar Valerio Jimenez, you know, how do you see those mistakes or lack of unity or the government system in Mexico compared to the U.S.? How do you see that carried to U.S.-Mexico relations today? Well, I, 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 let me say one thing. Uh, I want to point out one thing that it's that, um, yes, the U.S., the Mexico had ignored its northern territories like Texas and California and so forth. But there was also, I mean, in terms of um, the role of um, of other people, or other factors involved in the loss, uh, Mexico's loss, uh, we also, also have to remember that American Indians also play a role mm-hmm. because um Uh, Native Americans like the Comanches and Apaches had been uh, raiding northern Mexico and basically had weakened Mexico's military. Mm. Um, There's great books um, uh, uh, about this issue um, that have been published in the last 10 years um, that that focus on how American Indians played a decisive role in the outcome of the U.S.-Mexico War. Uh, I'll say that, you know, um, Mexico did not enjoy very much stability. Um, between 1821 and the time that Porfirio Diaz came into power, the uh, presidency changed hands more than once a year. So that is a great deal of instability uh, after its independence. Um, you know, so it's hard for uh, any government to obtain any kind of control and to offer, you know, a defense of its national territory when this kind of instability, when it's experiencing this kind of instability. Well, this is definitely a topic that we could talk about uh, for another hour easily. Um, Reina Grande will be discussing her new book from 7 to 8 p.m. on April 6th at the Sunnyvale Public Library in person and online, and also at 8 p.m. on April 7th in person at Bookshop Santa Cruz. Thank you, Reina Grande and Omar Valerio Jimenez, for making this time for this conversation. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Farida Jabbala Romero and Fermina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.